Welcome to the Later in Life Planning Show with Patrick Colley, brought to you by Keystone Elder Law, right here on News Radio WHP 580. Now, here's your host, Patrick Colley. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law, where we aim to be the attorney a will, certain kinds of trusts. Sometimes we're using Medicaid law when long-term care expenses start piling up. If you're interested in listening to previous episodes of the show, you can find it at whp580.com using the podcast menu in the upper left. Or if you have a podcast app on your phone like iHeart or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, you can find the Later in Life Planning Show on any of those uh, platforms. Now, If you wonder as you're listening to it why I sound so crisp and clear and about 25% smarter than I normally am in real life, well, that's because of a guy behind the scenes who works with the R.J. Harris's of the world and lots of other interesting personalities. His name is Art Selby. He just passed 28 years at WHP 580. And with iHeartMedia, I want to give a shout out to Art for doing such a fantastic job making this and other shows sound so good. So thanks, Art. Thank you. And coming up uh, on this episode, we're going to talk more about this planning for later in life, and we're going to be talking about specific goals that we have. Sometimes the goals are asset protection, because if you get sick and need long-term care, that's very expensive. If you you have a grandchild or a child with a disability, there's some asset protection you want to do. But a crucial part of estate planning and planning for the later years of life is making decisions about quality of life if you end up having maybe a terminal health condition or an injury or a disease that significantly affects your quality of life, your cognitive abilities in some cases. And there are legal tools that we use to address that, namely the healthcare power of attorney and living will. But in the course of discussing those those tools and that planning with people, I find that people very often express to us at Keystone Elder Law that they would like to minimize pain and suffering at the end of life. You know, most people, if given a choice, would not want aggressive medical care to extend their life at all costs if the quality of their life is greatly diminished in the process. So for that reason, today the focus of the episode is palliative care and hospice And my guest is someone who speaks on this topic uh, frequently and works in this area. Her name is Lauren Smeltzer, and she is with Hospice for All Seasons. Lauren, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Patrick. So I think a good place to start is there are these broad umbrella categories. There's palliative care, there's hospice. Can you just start taking people through what's the difference between those two? Sure, definitely. Palliative care is more for people that are looking to continue to have curative measures, but they want to be comfortable. So in that, you know, someone could have an illness such as cancer or dementia, and they're maybe not to the point where they're terminally ill, but they are looking to be comfortable while they're trying to fight the disease that they are plagued with. So the difference is um, Palliative care, it's any stage of the illness. They like it to be more in the beginning when you start that because then you can focus on being comfortable, pain-free, maybe nausea or anxiety or different things that will plague these people. They need to have the measures to be able to fight that while they're also trying to fight their disease. So that is the difference between palliative care and hospice care is that palliative care is 
usually what the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services say is a nurse will visit up to nine times per year. So it's a lot different because hospice care, and I know we'll get into that, is a lot more where we're with these patients so much more and there's so many more people that are involved in their care where palliative care is really just a nurse that's going out to make sure that they are comfortable and being able to ask the doctor for orders for medications to do that. But of course, as you you already said, I mean, it's that's not the entire extent of their care. The palliative care, though, is is keeping them comfortable and perhaps managing symptoms. But the, as you said, they're still engaged in a curative process. So they're still trying to fight whatever it is they have. But if they, along with whatever they are, their underlying condition is, if they have pain, if they have shortness of breath, if they're you know losing appetite, whatever the case may be, there's I, I've encountered plenty of people who, who have chronic pain issues. They're certainly not terminal. They're not at the end stage yet. Uh, and I suppose that's where, where our conversation about hospice will come in. But in the meantime, palliative care could play a pretty big role uh, with what you just described. I mean, for that reason, just to manage the symptoms. Mm-hmm. Correct. Okay. So, you know, it seems like palliative care, and I, th- I think a lot of people think palliative care and hospice sound the same because we're we're sort of trying to make the most out of life. We're trying to enhance quality of life at, you know, while doing either one of them, but it's sort of, you know, what's, where are they in the journey? Is that a say, is that a, a fair way to put it? Absolutely. People will come to us and they'll want to be on hospice, but they'll still want to try to cure whatever their disease is. And for that reason that we can't put them on hospice, they have to be considered uh, terminally ill to be on hospice care, but palliative care, they can go ahead and be on that and still be trying to, if you know, just for instance, we'll use cancer. They can still be receiving chemo and radiation and things like that. But if they have, you know, other other underlying symptoms, things they want managed, that's where palliative care would come in. And so then to contrast with with palliative care, hospice, as I think you've you've hinted at, is now when we get to a point where uh, curing the underlying condition is no longer going to happen or the person wants to stop fighting it for whatever reason, hospice care comes in and, and is, is what the, I think you said the frequency might be, might be, uh, uh, it might be more frequent uh, visits from someone in, involved in hospice than in palliative care, but are they trying to have a different goal at all or what is hospice doing when they make those visits? So hospice is, again, it's complete comfort measures. Um, the patient has would have to stop doing any curative measures. They know that they're not going to try to fight whatever the disease any, is anymore, and they want to be comfortable, they want to be pain-free, and they also want to live out their best days, whatever those days may be left, and that's how hospice comes in and helps take care of them to do that. And other than the sort of un- misunderstanding the difference between palliative care and hospice care, what are some of the common mispers- misconceptions or misunderstandings that you find people have about hospice itself? Uh, I think the first big misconception, um, I go ahead and meet with the families in the beginning of care. I go through all the Medicare consents. And the first question I always say to them is, do you understand what's going to be happening when hospice comes in to take care of your loved one? Some say they do, and others say, I have no idea. Can you explain it to me? And that's the part of my job I think that I love the most because I'm able to explain how we're going to bring their loved one and care for them and give them the best quality of life that we can. And the biggest misconception is people say, oh, well, now that my loved one is on hospice, they're going to die in the next week. 
That's not the case at all. You know, I heard a lot of that when it was announced that former President Jimmy Carter was going on to hospice. Everybody was getting ready for his funeral already. Absolutely. And that's just not, you know, that that, that doesn't mean he's going to die tomorrow. No, (laughs) not at all. I mean, some patients, you know, they come on hospice and it's, you know, later stages in their, you know, progressive of their disease. And others we try to get on as soon as possible. Once they qualify under Medicare standards, the quicker that you get them on, the more comfortable they're going to be. And it's just they always think that as soon as I'm on, they're going to die. And you're right. People are, you know, getting now it is good jumping back a little, it is good to that people do have their funeral arrangements made. It does help with, you know, the family after everything has happened to just have that all taken care of. But right away they jump to that. So I have to explain that, no, that's not the case at all. It's not doesn't mean that they're going to die tomorrow. It means that we are, you know, we don't know how long it's going to take. And that's another big question that we get, especially from our nurses when they go for the admission is, well, how long do you think they have? And we don't know that. We we don't know that. We can see towards the end there's lots of indications as when the when end of life is really getting close. But when someone's first put on hospice, we have no idea. It equals care and compassion and comfort from a team of people that are in this profession for the right reason, and they, they lead with their hearts. Yeah, I think that's really well put. And, you know, most people, as I have already said earlier, uh, that, you know, most people, if they were asked, would say that I don't want a long, drawn-out, painful uh, death if if I can take some control. And I think that that point of where people are asking you how much time, can you give me a, an exact day or, you know, give me some sort of estimate, it's because there's, I, I suppose, a loss of control. And they want to have as much control. They want to brace themselves. And But I think just the act of, of engaging in palliative care or hospice care is a, 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 taking a measure of control. I mean, you're 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 at least going to focus on the the symptoms. You're going to focus on how you're feeling, how you can engage with your family and the world, and get the most out of the time you have left. So, you know, I think it's important. This does not uh, it does not hasten death, but it also does not prolong death. Um, but but nobody really knows. It's about focusing on the time you have left. And we're going to go to a break. And when we come back, we'll we'll talk some more about hospice. My guest today on the Later in Life Planning Show is Lawrence Meltzer with Hospice for All Seasons. You can find them at hospiceforallseasons.org. We'll be back in a moment on News Radio WHP 580. Now, more of the Later in Life Planning Show here on News Radio WHP 580. We are back on the Later in Life Planning Show sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. I'm your host, Patrick Cauley. We're speaking with Lawrence Meltzer from Hospice for All Seasons. And we're speaking about hospice today and hospice and palliative care. And it's important to keep in mind, and I think Lauren referenced this before the break, that, you know, there's a lot of planning you can do well before this stage in your journey or your loved one's journey. Uh, Legal planning, including a health care power of attorney and living will would be important, but really having a financial power of attorney a will. Some people have asset protection trusts. Really, the goal is not just what happens to your finances or real estate. It's making quality of life choices. It's having someone in place if you become incapacitated and you need decisions, including decisions about palliative care or hospice to come into the picture. Incapacity planning is so important, and and, uh, we can get into other types of planning, such as funeral planning and, and so forth. 
previous episodes of the show have gone into that a little bit. But Lauren, before the break, you were you were talking about some of the misconceptions about hospice. Some people mistakenly believe that you go on hospice, you're that you're you're about you're going to die as soon as you go on hospice, or or you're throwing in the towel when really the focus you were saying is more on improving the quality of life and and keeping people comfortable. Did I get that right? You absolutely did. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and, and I think sometimes people, uh, from what I've heard, uh, there's this expectation that you're just going to uh, drug people up and they're just going to lie in a hospital bed and and sort of be out of it. How closely does that match reality? Zero. It does not match reality at all. Um, the goal is to make them comfortable, and sometimes making them comfortable will you know, give them a little sense of independence back. We've had patients that have been, you know, mostly bed bound, not able to get up because they're in pain, they're they're nauseous, they're anxious, they're not eating as much. When our nurse goes in and looks at all the medications and sees what they're on, she can make recommendations to the doctor to say, hey, maybe we should try this, maybe we should try this. And we've had patients that went from bed bound to in a wheelchair out in the dining room at an, you know, an Alzheimer's facility eating with the residents or participating in activities. And the families say, wow, like, that's crazy that we didn't think my mom would ever do that again or my dad would ever do that again. And here they are up and, you know, doing things that they used to do. That doesn't go for everybody, of course, but trying to get them on that right, you know, medicinal cocktail that is going to make make them feel better is is 100% the goal. And, and that might mean... Uh, the right medicinal cocktail might mean cutting out some of the the cocktail of medications that were there, maybe to fight an underlying condition that we're just not fighting. And when you take that out, you have a different mix that that uh, leads to more quality of life. One other question that I've heard people say an awful lot is, "Where is hospice?" As if it's a you know it's a building, it's a place I'm going to go to. Uh, do you hear that question at all, or how do how would you respond to it? I would respond to that saying that it is a philosophy. It is not. Now, some hospices do have an inpatient hospice house. Hospice for All Seasons does not. We like to take care of patients in their home, wherever they call home. And the other misconception that goes along with that is when I meet with a family, they think that there is one hospice out there. It's just hospice. It's a blanket statement of I'm going to go on hospice and they don't understand that there are different hospices and different hospices have different philosophies. And um, I think that that's the biggest thing is just being able to say you know, it's a philosophy and we're there to take care of you no matter where you call home. And the hospices that do have inpatient hospices, hospice houses, excuse me, are good as well. It just depends on what the family is interested in doing and what they think is best for their loved one. Sure. And and I like that you said wherever they call home. Now, most of the people, when, when I meet with them and we're talking about planning and the levels of care and the legal and financial planning that are going to go into it, more often than not, people are emphasizing, I never want to leave the house where I've lived for decades. And okay, you know, if that's going to be safe, if they, you know, if there are stairs and you keep falling down them, that might not be a, a good long-term plan. But most people, that's just getting to the point, that's where their memory is. And if they're losing control over aspects of their life, that's one way that they can exert control is to say, I'm staying where my memories are and I want this this measure of independence and we'll make it work. And I think that that's great that, you know, what you were talking about is preferring to meet them wherever wherever they are living. And, and that probably goes to their comfort level as well. Absolutely. Is it true that if I go on hospice, I can never go to the hospital again? That is not true. 
So the goal of hospice is families will say, you know, my dad doesn't want to go to the hospital anymore. They've been in and out of hospitals, in and out of hospitals, sitting in emergency waiting rooms for hours on end, and they don't want to do that anymore. So when they go on hospice, they we can take care of them wherever they call home, the same thing that the hospital can do. We're able to kind of do that there so that they're not going back and forth and back and forth to the hospital because they just, they frankly don't want to do that anymore because they know they're not going to be cured of whatever their illness is. They just want to be comfortable and going back and forth to the hospital is not something that they're interested in doing at this point. Now, the caveat to that is, is there's a medical emergency. If one of the patients would need sutures or they would fall and break a bone, hospice does not administer sutures or, you know, put a cast on an arm. So they'd have to go to the hospital for that because still that's part of being comfortable. We don't want them to you know, break their arm and be laying there because they don't want to go to the hospital, we would absolutely say, you must go and get this fixed. And then you come back and you're still on our services and we'll still do the same thing that we were doing. And that's not life prolonging uh, treatment. That's just keeping you comfortable and and not, yeah, not wallowing in pain. So that's completely consistent with the hospice philosophy. Yes, absolutely. So one thing, another misconception about hospice that I've heard as well is that people think, well, this is all about the person who's nearing the end of his or her life and when they're when they're gone hospice is gone but you know i've i've seen this happen where someone for example goes into a skilled nursing facility and without hospice as soon as that person passes away the family gets informed and then they have a relatively short amount of time to collect personal belongings and so forth from the room but with hospice there's family support even when the, the the patient has passed away. Am I right about that? Absolutely. Um, that's part of my job, actually. I do the community education, but I'm also a bereavement counselor. And bereavement, when your loved one passes away, we follow you for 13 months. Um, so it's over a year that someone can be receiving, you know, calls, visits, whatever they might need to, you know, start working through that grief because, you're right. You don't want to just drop a family as soon as they're done because it's hard, I think, for our aides because they're there every day. They're with the family. They're with the patient. And when a loved one does pass, the aides do, they move on to somebody else. But the bereavement team will follow them for 13 months to make sure that they're doing well because not everybody does well. A lot of the times, you know, People will say, you know, mom or dad lived a great life, and but we still want to call and check up on them because sometimes, you know, it doesn't, some of the diseases that we deal with, especially, for instance, I think ALS is one of the worst ones. And those families seem to have a lot harder time, you know, dealing with their grief because it is, they've watched that for how long and their loved ones. So, you know, walking through them with their grief is certainly something that we take high priority to. That's fantastic. And and I was thinking Alzheimer's just because it's kind of you lose somebody slowly, but but you're right. ALS is so debilitating and it happens relatively quickly most of the time and and it just uh it, it can devastate everyone. And I'll tell you, I, you know, when I'm I, I've lost track of the number of times I'm speaking to someone who is in my office to do some planning and they need a lot of guidance because they lost their spouse and the spouse, you know, husband or wife or doesn't matter, was the one who managed the money or was the one who kept things organized. You know, I just this was never my department and now I have to do it all. And they need a lot of guidance. And I would imagine it's the same thing when they lose somebody 
uh, they're, they're alone. And, and, and adult children are more mobile than they used to be. They're moving around the country and around the world. So there really is, I mean, when, it, when the dust settles, the funeral is over, there's a real void. And for you to be checking in on them must go a long way towards the whole comforting experience that hospice offers. Definitely. I mean, we we give a call right away um, after someone passes within the first week because you don't want to, from our experience, call them the day of, the day after because they're real frantic. They're trying to figure out funeral arrangements and people are visiting and it's just, it's a lot for them. So we like to wait about a week and then we'll call back in a month because you said after the dust settles, that is when... We find that people really are having a hard time because their house was full. People were bringing food. It was, you know, they were reminiscing. They were doing things. And then everybody does go back to their life. And then especially the spouse, they're the ones that are left to figure it out. And like you said, financially, people, that's one of the things I hear, too, when I talk to people about grief is I don't I have so many things. I'm, you know, it's caught up with the attorneys and different things. And I don't know how to get you know, and they're asking me, and that's when I say, hey, you need to call Patrick. He's still an elder law because I can't help with those types of things. But it is. Right. It's not just their grief, but it's all this extra responsibility that they have now, too. And inevitably, when you say 13 months, there's going to be a birthday of the one who passed away. There's going to be holidays where suddenly that key person is not there. So following up with them, and we try to do that when we're finished with our work with people as well, just follow up and see how they're doing. It's just... Uh, it's just the best. I mean, it's ongoing support that is so crucial, and you probably don't even realize how well it's it's received. We're speaking today on the Later in Life Planning Show about hospice. Uh, our guest is from Hospice for All Seasons, hospiceforallseasons.org. We'll be back in a moment for more talk on hospice and palliative care. This is the Later in Life Planning Show on WHP 580. Welcome back to the Later in Life Planning Show on News Radio WHP 580. Here's Patrick Colley. We are back on the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. My guest today is Lauren Smeltzer with Hospice for All Seasons. We are talking about palliative care and hospice care for people who have either chronic pain, chronic uh, discomfort from an illness in the case of palliative care, or care at the end of the life end of life where the goal is not so much extending life anymore the goal is instead making the most out of the time that you have left Lauren uh, it seems like there's a number of people you you were speaking before the break about how there's the, the maybe the nurses aid providing hands-on care but you're part of a different part of the same organization where you're you're, you're doing the follow-up you're doing the education the, the bereavement counseling uh, who are the other members of your typical hospice team to provide holistic service to not only the one who is passing away slowly, but but the the person or the the people around them, their family? Absolutely. So the first person, of course, is the patient. They are our main concern, but the family is also our concern as well. So we devise a plan that is going to help care for the family as well as the patient. We like to use the patient's normal physician, whoever their physician is that they have been seeing, because they know them. They know their medical history. They're able to make recommendations. They're, we want to keep them involved with the care as long as possible. We also have our own medical director as well. So if we need him or say someone doesn't have a physician that they're comfortable with or doesn't feel, you know, they've just started seeing this person. They don't know them very well. So they'll use our medical director and he's on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. So he's easily accessible for us as well. 
Then you have the hospice nurse. The hospice nurse is the one that starts the care where she goes out and makes sure that the person, once the doctor writes an order, makes sure the nurse goes out to make sure that they do qualify for hospice care under Medicare guidelines. And that nurse visits at least once a week. We find that more towards end of life, they're there every day. They're there checking to make sure because we don't want to miss anything. We want to make sure that, you know, if pain increases, discomfort increases, the nurse is there to really help with all of that. So we don't want them to be in pain because they do tend to be much more uncomfortable once they get towards the end of life. Then we also have the hospice aides. They're there. So every hospice is different how they structure their aides. Hospice for All Seasons, we being a small family-owned company, we do a little different where we really care about the patients and their quality of life. So we go ahead right away and we'll send an aid out five days a week, which is more than others. And we just do that because we feel the frequency of the aid, having that same person, especially someone that has Alzheimer's, they're still seeing that face every day. They're kind of getting used to that person. So when they're coming in, they're expecting to be cared for. So we're there anywhere from if the family says, I don't want an aid. And some people aren't at the point where they even need an aid yet. And they'll say no, but their option is anywhere from zero to five days a week. So we do that right away and are providing all of the assistance of daily living. They help with bathing and dressing and, you know, changing them, rolling them over, working on, um, like motion exercises. I was trying to think of what that was. Just the range of motion. That's what I wanted to say. Range of motion exercises. Just things to really keep them comfortable. And if we go in and they, you know, aren't in the mood for a bath that day, or if they live in a retirement home and the staff there is already taking care of them, we're still going to spend up to an hour to an hour and a half with them. You know, we can put lotion on their legs, talk to them. We can sing to them. It's just, it's just that care, that love, that you know, we're there to help support with that as well. Then there's a social worker who always makes a visit as well. And the social worker does help with some things like funeral planning and just getting some of those things in order with the family just to make sure that everything is, you know, even and whatever they need at that point. The bereavement services, we talked about that. And we also have chaplains and they will go on based on whatever that person, whatever religion that they practice. So we do have a chaplain that just does Catholicism, anybody that practiced that, but everybody else can go off of anything that was practiced, whether it's, you know, Presbyterian, Lutheran, um, if they didn't practice any type of religion, we can still go in and just sit with them and talk to them. And it's just people that are just, it's kind of a revolving door. Some families love it. Some don't want all of the people coming in and out, but then we just, that's tailored based on individualism. We want to make sure that if they want those people, we're there. If they don't, we try not to come in too often to disrupt anything. And then volunteers as well. We have a volunteer coordinator and those people that volunteer for hospice are just wonderful people. They will make meals and sit with patients and, you know, anything they need. Sometimes they'll bring a pet in. And if, you know, the patients want to see a dog or a cat and we have something like that, we can do that as well. That's great. And and you were saying, you know, some of the, the frequency and it with Hospice for All Seasons, that is more frequent than I've heard from other hospice services uh, as far as frequency of contact with the patient. Uh, but I guess one thing to to drive home to people is this is sort of, you know, your team would be available 24-7, any one member of these team, but this is not 24, uh, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week with someone actually being there. But but at the same time, you are having an, any number of people throughout 
you know, the days that, that go by. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not a, we are on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So we say to families, you know, when I meet with them in the beginning, there's so many questions and they just, you know, you go through this whole packet of stuff and sometimes they glaze over because they think, holy cow, this is a lot of information. So I say to them, if you have a question, call. Well, what if it's a Friday at six o'clock? It doesn't matter. Call us because we are on call. We're here to answer any questions for you to make you feel comfortable. We even put a magnet in our emissions packets, put on the fridge to say, you know, if you're not sure, you can't remember the number, you look at the magnet and call us that way. But it's, it's any time it's 24 seven. And if someone's not doing well in the middle of the night and a nurse has to go out on a Sunday, they'll do that. That's what we do. We're there no matter when they need us. Just because office hours are over doesn't mean care is over. And I guess a good, another good question to follow up with is how does this all really get started in the first place? How does somebody know when hospice is going, when, when have we reached the point where hospice is appropriate, where we're not trying to cure the underlying illness, but we're looking at the symptoms, we're looking at quality of life. How does it all start? It all starts when I think the, the patient or the, the doctor, the family decides that, you know, they're going through all these treatments and they don't want to anymore. And sometimes it just happens too with, with old age. They have had a dramatic weight loss or lots of falls or they've been in and out of the hospital so much they just come to a point where they they just don't want to do it anymore so then it's a matter of calling the doctor and the doctor writes an order for hospice just like you'd write an order for an x-ray or anything like that so they have to write an order and they use the baseline of six months or less that's that's what they believe that the person will live six months or less but again like we talked in the beginning nobody knows um Nobody has any idea, but they have to use that baseline to know that, you know, they might not live past that six months, but a lot of them do. I mean, we've had lots of patients on service over six months and then they get reevaluated. It's 90 days, then another 90 days, and then it's 60 days every every 60 days after that. They get reevaluated just to make sure that they still are showing some type of health decline that would allow Medicare to pay for hospice coming in. And some of the, I think maybe it would help for listeners to just give some examples of conditions. I mean, you, you talk about repeated trips to the hospital, that could be, or, or just advanced age and just the struggle, it, you know, it just doesn't make sense anymore. But some specific conditions that might come up, uh, I'm thinking Alzheimer's, uh, kidney failure, heart failure. Um, are there some others that you, that you, you guys see on a, on a regular basis? Yes. A lot of Alzheimer's and dementia. We definitely see a lot of that. We see ALS, unfortunately, is coming about more so than I think maybe was anticipated. We're seeing a lot more of those. Lots with heart, um, whether it is, you know, congestive heart failure or numerous heart heart conditions. Uh, COPD is a big one, too. And then different forms of cancer. We just had someone, you know, just it's just it could be lung cancer. It could be anything. So. Right. I, you know, and I've been seeing, uh, I follow, I, maybe I'm nerdy about this kind of thing, but I, I not only keep up on the law, but I try to follow various talking heads on health topics that I know are relevant to later in life, you know, living the best life, living the longest life that, that you can. And it seems like atherosclerosis, if I can even say it right, um, you know, the, the plaques that build up in the arteries and so forth, the, the cardiovascular illnesses generally are that it kills more people than cancer. And so I, it doesn't surprise me that, that heart issues or, or COPD might be coming up an awful lot. Um, and so, uh, so 
those are some of the the specific conditions that you see from time to time. And you talked about you know signs that it might be time for hospice, but but ultimately, you know, if people are seeing that the you know there's there's the uncontrolled pain, there's that that weight loss, but really it's it's something that they should talk to their doctor about because it has to start with the doctor's order. It does, yes, um, definitely. You know, talk to your doctor and find out if what you're doing, if you just don't want to, you're just not in the mood to keep doing this anymore, or it's getting worse and you just want to seek some type of comfort care treatment. That would be the best the best time to talk to your doctor or talk to a family member that can help you talk to your doctor. You know, doing this by yourself is is not something I would suggest, you know, leaning on people to help you, you know, go through this journey is, is invaluable. Well said. We're going to go to a break. And when we come back, uh, we'll be speaking again with Lawrence Meltzer from Hospice for All Seasons. You are listening to the Later in Life Planning Show on News Radio WHP 580. It's the Later in Life Planning Show here on News Radio WHP 580. Now, your host, Patrick Colley. We are back on the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. Today, we're talking about palliative care, hospice care, ways to improve the quality of life, even if there's no longer a cure for an underlying medical condition. And of course, my guest, Lauren Smeltzer, with Hospice for All Seasons has gone into how the, the, the care and the love extends not just to the person who, uh, whose health is declining, but to the whole family. And Lauren, one question that I, that I had is, you know, what happens? Because we were talking before the break about how somebody might go on into hospice care because it is anticipated by the doctor that perhaps the person has six months or less to live, but they live longer. And you were talking about the time periods for sort of reevaluating can, can someone come out of the hospice philosophy and go back to either just palliative care and trying to cure or cure their, their illness or if some experimental treatment comes along or, you know, they just they, they seem to be doing better than anticipated? Are there circumstances where people uh, leave hospice care? There are. And you can leave hospice care at any time. There is no nothing is binding when you come on hospice services. So. You choose to come on based on the fact that you're not going to fight this disease anymore or you just don't want to go back and forth to the hospital. But if you decide, you know, I do want to try something again, you can leave hospice on your own. And we've had plenty of patients that have improved and have come off hospice. It happens. It happens not frequently, but it does happen. You know, they get to the point where, you know, if someone has behavioral issues and they have dementia and they're just all, you know, sorts of out of whack for the way that they're supposed to be. And then you get them on the right medications, you know, their behaviors, you know, may stop and they may, their health may improve because of all that. And they can graduate off hospice. Or, you know, if someone was experiencing a lot of weight loss and not being able to keep any weight on and, you know, they were falling all the time, but you get them, you get that nutrition in them, you, you know, build their weight back up, they can come off of hospice too. So, just because you're on hospice doesn't necessarily mean that you you can't graduate off hospice. You know, and I think that's so important to drive home that the person who is undergoing this care continues to be in control of their circumstances and it's their decision to stay in or to to leave hospice. But I also love that 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 people end up doing better sometimes than expected and 
Um, and I think it, maybe it's like that story you mentioned of somebody with dementia and you get the, the cocktail of medications right and suddenly they're, they're not bed bound, they're in a wheelchair or they're just doing something or a little more cognitively awake. Um, you, uh, a mutual friend of ours happens to be a team member at Keystone Elder Law, Kelly Coons. Before she came to work for Keystone Elder Law, uh, she was working in hospice for a number of years. And I remember Kelly saying, uh, based on national statistics, that sometimes people will actually live longer undergoing hospice treatment than they do with the traditional uh, attempts by medicine to keep them alive longer, ironically. So I think it just goes to this you know, you're treating the whole person, you're treating the spirit, you're uh, helping the family, you're just having a number of different um, specialty areas uh, where professionals are coming in to give attention. So I don't know if that's borne out in what you see, that it's just, you know, you, you're really enriching the life of the person. It's true. You are. You you know, you're taking care of, the like you said, the whole person, not just their medical needs, the entire person. And you do sometimes, they do they do live longer than, you know, sometimes when they come on we think maybe they're not going to be here too awfully long. And then they surprise us because they, they're starting to feel better. They're starting to bounce back a little bit. So again, we're not here to cure them. That's, you know, they, if somebody does graduate off hospice, it's not because we're curing them, but we are making their life better, making their, their health better. And then they can come off of hospice. Right. Here's a pretty important question. I guess a lot of people might be wondering all of these benefits that, that they're hearing from you about hospice services how does a person pay for hospice hospice care? I get that question a lot when I'm meeting with families. And if they are over 65 and they have Medicare, Medicare covers 100% of hospice care. It covers everything that we do. And then Medicare Part D is under the 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 umbrella, and that covers all the medications. So that that's all submitted through Medicare Part D. And some people will say, I only have A and B. And I'm not a, a guru on Medicare by any means, but... That is the the benefit that kicks in to help cover the medications. But the Medicaid plans do cover it as well. And a lot of private insurance plans will cover it. And at our hospice, if someone needs hospice and they can't pay for it, you know, we'll help them. That We're not going to let anybody suffer. We'll help them. I think that just what you just said goes to what you said earlier, that the people who go into this line of work are in it for the right reasons. There's there you if you if you go in for any other reason than because you are a compassionate human being who wants to really tend to the the humanity of someone who is facing the end of life, you're going to find it very frustrating and and probably burn out, but you're in it for the right reasons. And I along those lines, you know, I wanted uh, you know, this is this has been really uh an opportunity to educate people about what hospice is and what hospice is not. But I do want people to know about a local resource in particular because, you know, if there is no one hospice, as you said, that's the philosophy, but there are providers of hospice. Tell me about Hospice for All Seasons. So Hospice for All Seasons, we've been in business about 12 years now. And the owner, her name is Lisa Diornellis, and she worked for other hospices in the area. And she just wanted to start a hospice that the philosophy was just about that care, that providing that care for the patients. So she started it. And I think we are the last family-owned hospice in the area. So we take a different approach where we don't have a corporate, you know, looking down on us. And we can just really provide that extra care and where hospice for all seasons believes in the Western medicine, of course, and, you know, making people comfortable and giving them the medications that they need. We also believe in the holistic side too. And we, Oh, go ahead. 
No, so. no, yeah, no I, you saw my face light up on that because I was looking at your website and I noticed that um, the, there's sort of, I guess it was called integrative arts. I mean, so in addition to all the team members, there were things like massage and Reiki and all these other approaches. So tell me more about that. Yeah, I think it's such a huge benefit for our patients because we are. We will talk to the family, the person that does the the legal consents with me. We say, "Do you think your loved one will be interested in some of this?" And you know, you start listing them off and they do. They say, "Oh, my my father will love some music at the bedside or love a massage." And you know, we also can make uh, essential oil tinctures, and they can make them based off of. That's an RN that runs the program, and she has been with us for a long time. She's fabulous, and she can make tinctures that can maybe help with sleep or nausea or anxiety, and just things that you know are going to make them more comfortable outside of the medication. But just it's just that extra layer of comfort, and you know something that is holistic. So it it is, and you know I'm sure that you. I probably have some people who hear that and they say, well, that sounds like hooey and I don't want any of that, but they still have all of these other specialties, uh, these areas and and team members that that you offer. But for for a number of people, they're, you know, they're probably open to anything at this point as far as comfort and support and, uh, and, and, you know, they're, they're just, they're open to it all, I would think. Yes, for sure. A lot of people just even want to just explore it. You know, when I talk about it during the consents paperwork, they'll the nurse will reach out and, you know, really give a little bit more in depth as to what the program is. And then they can make that decision. But a lot of people do. I mean, there's, we just had the form that was printed out that shows our patients and what they're participating in. And it's great to see that they're, they're giving it a try and, you know, it it makes a difference just having that extra layer of, of something, of music, of, um, you know, the essential oils, just something that's just natural and, you know, good. And, and so if people are if are listening to this and they think, well, uh, you know, I have a loved one who might be in this this circumstance, or maybe I have a health condition that might be le- heading in this direction, how should they get in touch and what does the process look like if they call Hospice for All Seasons? So when they make the original call, they would talk to one of our nurses, our patient care coordinator, or the owner herself. She's in the office all the time. So you're going to get that interaction on the phone. They're going to take down all kinds of information, find out what's going on. And then it's a matter of getting an order from a doctor to just evaluate even just, you know, if we're not sure and they think that this might be something that would be- they would benefit from, but they're not sure, we can go out and just evaluate and see if it, you know, they do meet the criteria because we're really strict in making sure that when we do admit someone, they do meet the Medicare guidelines. So we'll go out and take a look and see. And then if everything works out, we have the order and they do qualify, we can get started the next day. So that's one of our, you know, with a small company, one of our big assets is that we have really quick turnaround. We can get you know, get the orders, get the paperwork done and get the evaluation and get an aid started as soon as possible. And their website is hospiceforallseasons.org. The phone number is 717-234-2555. That's 234-2555. You know, at Keystone Elder Law, we this is something that we do talk about. We talk about a lot of resources that we ourselves do not provide, but it's it, this is something that people need to know about. And even when we're going through the legal planning, if we're if we're walking you through your healthcare power of attorney and living will, if we're talking about your financial power of attorney and other types of planning, knowing about these resources that are out there to improve life is so important. And I want to thank you, Lauren, for your time today. Thank you, Patrick. If you 
will join us next week. We'll cover another topic for later in life planning. Keystone Elder Law offers free resources in the term in uh, in the form of webinars once a week. You can go to keystoneelderlaw.com and see the workshops tab and get registered for the next uh, webinar to learn more about later in life planning. I hope you join us next week for another episode of the Later in Life Planning show sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. 